0: Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the Consent and Queerness episode with Clementine Morgan. You can find them on clementinemorgan.com, on patreon.com forward slash clementinemorgan, and on Instagram by that same name. Hi, Clementine. Hi.
1: Nice to finally come on the pod and talk to you.
0: Yeah. I've been following... Your work for a couple years, my therapist actually recommended you to me um, and I started following you for your work and your writing about um, online harassment, cancellation, Mm -hmm. cancel culture. So we're going to talk a little bit more about sex today, but for people unfamiliar, you have a ton of writing on a couple very broad and uh, relatable topics. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your zines. What are they called and why did you write them? So well, why, have z- why do you write them?
1: Right. So I have a zine series um, that is probably going to go out of print, but I'm kind of struggling with deciding if I want to continue it or not, but it's called Fucking Magic. Um, there's a theme that the word fuck is like in most of my titles for some reason, but <laughs> Fucking Magic is a per-zine series, um, and that just means that it's like creative nonfiction where I write about my life. It's like a genre of zines. And so that zine is like largely about trauma recovery stuff and also like really heavily about sexuality. Um, And then I have a couple other zines that are like one-offs. I have a zine called Love Without Emergency, which is about trauma-informed polyamory And I have a zine called Fuck the Police Means We Don't Act Like Cops to Each Other, which is about cancel culture and abolitionism and those kinds of topics. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically, like, I've been writing zines literally since I was a teenager. um, And I always will be in some form or another. And basically, I just really like zines because, I mean, like, when I was a kid, I was like, you know a traumatized kid going through some fucked up stuff and also like a closeted queer kid. And like when I found zines, I just found a space where people were able to be honest about what was going on in their lives. And they were talking about trauma. They were talking about queerness. They were talking about all this stuff. And so it became a space where I was like, oh, I can can share my stories too. I can find other people that are like me because I also like grew up like a little bit pre-internet um Mm -hmm. and so it was zines that were like the place that i found this stuff and then i also like them because it's because it's self-publishing like you don't depend on anyone else uh to sort Mm -hmm. of like tell you that your work is good enough or to give you permission or to like you know make it Mm -hmm. happen for you you just decide that you want to make it happen and then you just go find your audience so
0: yeah Mm -hmm. and your podcast is called
1: fucking canceled (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I think so. You and I have both uh, navigated some similar stuff. Where are you located?
1: I'm in Montreal in Canada.
0: Okay. So yeah, a lot of your work I find very relatable. Um, we're similar in age. We're similar in some backgrounds, but um, it was it's really interesting to me how it sounds like we went through a lot of the same similar things with like trying to be bisexual or pan or queer, but like you don't want to seem like a predatory girl um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is something that's come up. Yeah. For both of us. And I'm like, but we're not even in the same like neighborhood or city. Like, wow, these things must be problems everywhere all over the place uh, impacted by our Western culture. So can you give some examples of how consent can be confused?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess like to speak to the first thing that you're talking about, about queer women being afraid of being predatory. Like I discovered that this was like a majorly common theme and I started to do work on it. And my work on this topic, um, like I have a workshop that's called Bisexual Girls with Baggage where I talk about this and I talk about it in a bunch of my writing too. And Like my work on the topic has been like very, very widely well received. Like I've received so much feedback from women being like, oh my God, like thank you for saying this. You read my mind. Mm -hmm. But like before I started writing about it, like I went through years and years of like, you know, being queer and dating women and like being so anxious to like, you know, be direct. And and I sort of believed that like if if my date was really interested that she would be really direct. And so Mm -hmm. then I would know that it would be okay for me to be direct and then it would be fine, right? Mm -hmm. And so it – and nothing ever happened. Like I kept being stuck in these like really stalled relationships with women that were really like – yeah, just like couldn't get off the ground and sort of fell into a platonic place. And then I would be like, okay, I guess they're just not that into me and I would move on, like whatever. Mm -hmm. It's cool to be friends. But I was like, I'm trying to date. I don't know what's happening. And then eventually I just um, – I started this experiment of bringing this this up, like, directly with the women that I was dating. Hmm. So I would just say that. Like, I would be like, yeah, like, sometimes I'm really afraid to, like, be direct on dates because, like, I'm waiting for, like, a really clear signal and, like, I'm not sure what I'm looking for. But, like, if I'm not getting a clear signal, you know, I would just mm-hmm. have that conversation. And basically every single time the girl was like, oh, my God, me too. Me too. You
0: know? Me too. Yeah. Right. And,
1: like <laughs> – I'm I'm bi and like I tend to date a lot of other bisexual women. And so I think there's a lot of different factors that play into this because there's like the idea of being, um, you know, someone who has experienced a lot of non-consensual sexual attention throughout our lives, which mm-hmm. a lot of women have that experience. So we know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that and we don't want to do that to someone else. So that's a piece of it. Another piece is like internalized homophobia stuff and feeling like – You know, just having baggage that like maybe, maybe queer sexuality is like creepy or there's something wrong with it because like you know it it's only very recently that we have things like Lil Nas X like showing us like hot mainstream like queer sexuality like for people who are like millennials and stuff like Mm -hmm. we grew up in a time when like that you know there was a huge amount of homophobia and stuff so there's that piece and then with like bisexuality added to the mix there's like queer imposter syndrome you know, and feeling not queer enough. And then there's also, um, if you're used to dating men and you're used to dating within like heteronormative scripts, you might be used to the man taking the role of the initiator. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if that's the case, then you're like just sort of waiting for somebody else to sort of take the lead or make it obvious that this is like a sexual situation. So there's like many different components that play out. But anyway, I've found that that talking about it is like the number 1 thing that helps uh move past that and yeah mm-hmm. i have a whole workshop on it if people are interested in that but basically mm-hmm. about the question of like how can consent be confused i think with consent like there's kind of like two main models if you want to call it that the first is not really a model but it's just sort of like the basic way that a lot of people practice not even consent but basically like have sex which is that they just sort of hope for the best, right? Like they, uh-huh. they just kind of have sex and, you know, they hope that the whoever's being the more initiatory partner will sort of do what they want or something mm-hmm. that they like. And maybe they'll communicate a bit with body language or with sounds that they're making um, or by like physically withdrawing a little bit if they're not into something. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of of people who like really either haven't learned the skills or just are super uncomfortable with like directly communicating about what they like and don't like and want and don't want. Mm -hmm. And so like back, you know, when I was younger and I was like mostly just like having sex with like random dudes and stuff, that's how I had sex. I would just sort of roll the dice and be like, whatever happens, happens. And sometimes it would be really hot and sometimes it would be really awful, but it was like Mm -hmm. random. It was like a coincidence that that happened that way, right? Because. And I would often kind of attribute it to the guy, like he's like a really great lover or he's like an asshole. Mm. But actually, in both cases, there was no communication happening. It just was a fluke that the one guy happened to like the same things that I liked, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that seemed like a really positive sexual experience, but it was just random. And I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of people are having sex like that. Mm -hmm. But then in response, in sort of like, you know, sex positive culture, queer culture, like- in spaces where we're like, okay, like this isn't working. We want to try something else. There's this like very um, – a new consent model has been around for a while, but it's it's basically like verbal, direct, like ongoing, enthusiastic consent is the model. And so what this model is, is that like every time you do everything, you're supposed to ask verbally and get like verbal consent. So you're supposed to be like, um, can I touch your arm? Like, can I kiss you? Like, and then so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. And so after I left like dating, you know, random dudes and came into queer world, I found that this was the model that everybody practiced and this is how people were trying to keep, you know, themselves and each other safe.
0: I don't love that model either though.
1: I hated it and (laughs) I hated it so much that – and what also happened is that like I actually found that in this model I was having a lot of consent breakdowns. Because I have complex PTSD and part of what happens for me is like when I'm really stressed out or overwhelmed, I kind of go nonverbal and I have a Mm -hmm. hard time speaking. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody asks me for something directly, especially because I'm like, I don't want to make them feel bad, like there's all this baggage, there's all this pressure in the moment, it's hard to be like, no, I don't want to do that in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. So I would often freeze and I would just sort of like make a gesture or like maybe go, "Mm," you know, Mm -hmm. because I didn't know what to do. And then sometimes things would go forward that I actually didn't want. And so there was that. It also made me feel really anxious about initiating because I felt awkward about asking for things directly in the moment. I found it stressful. And also just overall, I didn't find it hot. Like, Yeah. I was in a lot of relationships, (laughs) mostly with like other queer people that it was like literally like we were dating for months and they were still being like, can I touch your arm? And I was like, this is stressful to me. Like, I don't find this hot. Yeah. And so, yeah.
0: So I I have some, I I really, really understand and identify with a lot of that. And I remember, so um, some people are familiar with they've really stopped happening now for the most part because culture is evolving and I don't think we need them for the same reasons, but some people are familiar with slut walks that took mm-hmm. place around the world. So, um, and there's like varying degrees of criticism based on how they were independently run and operated. Definitely people are right when they say oftentimes they're not inclusive enough and they kind of center white feminism with all of that being said, I was a co-organizer of Portland slut walks for years and we always okay. worked to make them very like, disability-aware, trans-aware, sex-worker-led, queer, you know, BIPOC-involved. And uh, definitely, so I'm not a stranger to these, like, consent and sexual assault environments. Um, Mm -hmm. And something that I've always been afraid to say is that I don't love the verbal enthusiastic consent every time model because it's not not sexy to me. And for the reasons you pointed out, some of us go nonverbal. A lot of us don't have the framework to ask for where we want to be touched on our bodies anyway or how. And then I think it's a reaction to what you mentioned earlier, how a lot of us operate anyway, which is no communication at all.
1: Yeah. So it's like Like very too far the other way.
0: Exactly. It's very black and white thinking. And I think a lot of us and now myself being a sex educator I feel like obviously everybody likes different things. We all communicate differently. We have different Mm -hmm. turn-ons, turn-offs, and things are contextual and they change. Um, So thank you for saying all of that. I imagine you've gotten some uh, pushback on sharing these ideas.
1: Yeah, I mean now that I'm like so canceled, it's actually been very freeing because I can just say what I think about things and like of course people are going to say shit, but they already are saying shit so whatever. Um and I've also received like a huge amount of positive feedback and like tons of people being like thank you for saying this because um, they feel the same way. Right. And it doesn't end there. Like, it's not just enough to be like, okay, this model doesn't work for everybody, but then it's like, what do we do instead? And that's part of like the sex education work that mm-hmm. I do is like trying to help people develop consent models that actually truly work for them. And their the people that they're having sex with. And so that they can actually use those models effectively. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. So I, I was going to ask, how does your own orientation or sexuality inform your work? Do you think?
1: So, I mean, I think all of my work very largely is focused on trauma, and I mean, that's not really exactly my orientation, but I think that it
0: <laughs> I it am kinda, traumatized, like, I identify as traumatized. <laughs> yeah,
1: like in a certain way it really is because I think that my sexuality, like that was the context in which I first became like a sexual being. I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. So, like I had to I like I've always had to navigate that, right? First and mm-hmm. foremost. And so like having complex PTSD has always been, like, a really big issue for me with sex and has really shaped, like, what was possible for me. And it's been, like, a really long journey of, like, claiming my sexuality and having the kind of sex that I want to have. So that's, like, a huge piece of it. And then also I'm queer and bisexual. Um, And yeah, like, I came out, um, you know, in 2002 when I was, like, a teenager and it was, like, a really homophobic time. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also been, like, you know, a bisexual queer who like has male partners and has been treated badly in queer world because of that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I think, yeah, and I'm also like, I don't know, I I try to find this middle ground of like, I'm I'm polyamorous, like I am kind of like a, in my life anyway, I have been kind of like a slutty person, had a lot Mm -hmm. of sex that people, you know, like I've had like group sex or like sex with people that I just met or like. Gone to sex clubs or things like this mm-hmm. um, and found those experiences really nice. And I've also been somebody who has had like large chunks of time where like I wasn't even able to have sex or, you know, my trauma was like really affecting my ability to like have the kinds of sex that I wanted. So like I try to, especially in my writing, like my zine fucking magic. I really – like there's parts of that zine that literally read like porn. Like there's like hot X-rated sex Mm -hmm. scenes all throughout that zine. It's like hot queer fucking. But then it's mixed in with like trauma processing and like – because I think that those two things are often kept very separate. Like we have like hot sex on the one hand and then we have like, you know, trauma and mental health stuff on the other hand um but like you know talking about your trauma and stuff is not seen as sexy obviously but for traumatized people who have to navigate that all the time like we do actually have to find ways obviously not to like unpack your trauma on a date but to at least be like this comes with me all the time right so Mm -hmm. like I have to be able to talk about the ways that it affects me so that I can like have the kinds of sex that I want to have so like I'm really interested in bringing that stuff together like queer hot like slutty sex stuff with like like trauma informed stuff.
0: Mhm. Yeah, listeners definitely my listeners know that my trauma informs the types of sex that I have and also it can be really helpful to reframe those experiences positively. So, um like anybody who knows me at work at the strip club like I can deal with a lot. I can deal with a lot of contact. I can Navigate someone like tugging on my nipples or someone who just bit me. I can do it pretty calmly. Um, But like my, my daughter or my partners, if they come up and like get in my ear without me knowing it's about to happen, I will lose my shit. Mm -hmm. And so in my sex play, um, if we're doing anything around my throat or my neck, like it's it's definitely deliberate and it's hot to me and it's an arousal point because I'm consenting to it. And we're doing this for co-creating if mm-hmm. that makes you know, if so, like no, I totally definitely does. Right. So I have found ways that I can like manage and compartmentalize. But a lot of people, if they don't know or they're not familiar with their trauma, then it's definitely going to impact the sex that they can or can't have. So totally. I see your work as a spectrum. You get it. So I wanted to read some listener responses. I asked, how have you, well, first I asked, have you ever accidentally or knowingly pushed boundaries or consent? How have you done this? Someone says, yes, not in a sexual way, but a physical and emotional boundaries way on accident. Also, adults violate children's consent all the time with making them do stuff like hugs. Someone else says, I tried to guilt trip a guy into having sex with me. He left, but I now realize that would have been rape. Um, someone says, I accidentally gave someone a hug without consent. They were upset and I apologized immediately. To give some context, I'm from North England and it's common to hug as a greeting. Though after this experience, it has made me reconsider forcing my cultural norms on others regardless of intent. It's a tricky one. Again, because like – and that's the thing where like people are going to push on each other's boundaries and fuck up. Yeah. And we have to have space for that too.
1: Yeah. I think that that's like – I don't know. I think part of the issue with all of this stuff is that we've created – and this goes back to the cancel culture stuff. Like we've created this very binary way of thinking between like, you know – either you've never crossed a boundary or, like, if you have, you're, like, a total monster, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And in reality, like, all relationships with people, sexual and otherwise, even if we do our very, very best, we are probably going to accidentally cross boundaries. Like, it's not Mm – it's very normal, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, the the goal is to, like, do our best to, like, you know, have strategies, communication strategies and so on so that we don't. But, like, obviously if it happens – there's like ways to like work through that and repair and you don't have to like, nobody has to be a monster, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Someone, a sex educator once told me that like, we learn by skinning our knees.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm
0: -hmm. Someone says I misgendered someone not knowing they were transitioning. I've definitely misgendered a person before. I've misgendered a child accidentally once. I was like, oh, your son is so cute. (laughs) Um, And I should know better. Uh, I mean. But yeah, like we said, accidents happen. Uh, Someone says, I'm a very touchy friend, but some of my friends have sensory issues. Mm-hmm. Let's see. There were some juicy ones in here. Oh, someone says, this is a lady. She says, touching men at the bar without asking first, it was wrong for me to assume.
1: Yeah. The stuff about men is interesting. Like I have found that, you know, with the work that I do with bisexual women, there's a lot of fear around, um, like I was saying, crossing boundaries or like not wanting to be a creep. And I think that for a lot of women, we don't have that same fear when dating men because we've been socialized to think of men as sort of like always down, Mm -hmm. that men want sex. And so like we don't have to be as concerned. Um, Mm -hmm. And like the stories that I've heard from people – from men and other like amad people um about just like crazy shit that's happened on dates with women crossing their boundaries is like mm. yeah it's definitely yeah. a thing
0: yeah it definitely does happen um okay so these two are right these responses came right at the same time from two different people and i i'll, I'll just read them one says i accidentally got too close to my husband's anus once during sex 4 years later he's still upset okay Um, The other one says, I coerced my hubby into butt stuff for fairness, quotes around fairness. Didn't know he'd been a survivor of sexual assault. I have regrets. So there's two different intentions here.
1: Yeah, they're very, very different. They're very different. Like accidentally going near a body part that is like very close to everything else that's happening is like, you know, it's it's not intentional. And it's like probably going to happen because it's like right there you know yeah
0: (laughs) um (laughs) i want to ask the guy why he's still upset four years later like at what point i mean like is there you know like i'll never know we'll never know but like are you a survivor is there like is that your internalized homophobia like are you just holding that over her like at what point do you let her and you move on from that
1: (laughs) totally and also like framing it as something that this person did wrong Mm -hmm. when it was like an accident um, I don't mm. like people like accents happen. Like it's not it's not the same thing as somebody like intentionally crossing a boundary.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. There's a few more of these. Um, I was in my early 20s playing with my boyfriend's penis while he was asleep. I mean, so that's a thing that might not upset somebody, but that's a conversation you could have.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like that's definitely something that you would need to get prior consent for. And like a lot of the stuff about like, you know, different consent models. It's not like it's not like, you know, you can get by without ever having a conversation. Like usually in most contexts, there needs to be some kind of conversation, but it doesn't have to happen in the moment, basically. Mm-hmm. So if you want to like tell your partner that that you're like down for something like that, It's fine, but you definitely shouldn't assume that somebody is down for something like that unless they've explicitly told you that they are.
0: Mm -hmm. My last live-in nesting mate partner, Brian, we were together four years and four months and like we made porn together and like experimented with all kinds of things. And I definitely told him, I was like, if you ever want to initiate sex when I'm sleeping, go ahead. I might be down. I might not, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And like same. Um, Okay. So this person says, X and I had a threesome with his friend. Years later, I found out that his friend thought we took advantage of him because he was drunk. We were all drunk and it was definitely not planned. Okay, So right. some miscommunication there. or Yeah, and of. I
1: mean the alcohol stuff is really complex because like on the one hand, this is another place where like the sort of like the the model that we say is good consent and that we insist is good consent like doesn't match up with what people are actually doing. And so therefore I'm like – if it doesn't actually match up with people's real lives like i don't think it's that useful because we say like consent is sober but we fully know that like a lot of people like maybe <laughs> most people have sex with like alcohol and drugs involved right like it's it's a very,
0: very common. normal
1: part of like dating and sex culture right and, and a so a lot of people
0: are binge drinkers a lot of americans are binge drinkers it's like a cultural problem
1: yeah and also it's like it's very hard to know how much like unless you know the person really well, it's really hard to know. Like some people are like a lightweight. You might be like, okay, like they had two beers, but like maybe that's really drunk for them. Mm-hmm. Um, And and somebody else might be able to drink a lot more and be okay. Like it, it really varies, right? But mm-hmm. it's weird because I've heard situations like this before where people are drinking and something happens and then one person feels like their consent was violated, but also both people were drunk. Mm-hmm. So I'm like – I mean, technically, neither of them could consent to what was happening based on that model. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know. Right. Right. So I'm not sure that I like have the answer for that, but I'm definitely like I think it's more complicated than the way that we, mm-hmm. you know, especially mm-hmm. because it's very contradictory to say that and then to know that people are drinking. And so like, how do we actually have like a harm reduction approach to people mm-hmm. um, drinking and, and and having sex?
0: Right. And that's what we're trying to do here. So I'm going to actually there's more of these. I'll read more of these later. Let's take a quick break. Everybody go to Instagram or Patreon and look up Clementine Morgan. And also don't forget to rate or review this podcast because that's how more people find us. Cool. Ioba Toys is the creator of the super silent sex toys, the Oh My G and the Oh My C. The Oh My G is a G-spot massager with three intensity levels, a massaging pearl and a unique C shape made to precisely hit the G spot. The Oh My C is a clitoral massager with a rotating massaging pearl that mimics a tongue or fingers, also known as oral sex, and it fits in the palm of your hand. Both toys are super silent and come in pink or white. Try code L30 for 30% off on iobatoys.com. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Book a session now to take your intimate life to the next level. Listeners of this podcast receive 20% off their first session with code TTS. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Welcome back to the Talk Sex podcast. We are talking consent and queerness with Clementine Morgan. And let's do some listener questions. Listener question one, I'd love to know more about nonverbal consent practices. Can you give some examples?
1: Yeah, totally. So I think that I think that as I was saying earlier that this model of like explicit verbal consent um, in the moment doesn't work for everybody and so then like what do we do instead? And one of those things is trying to strategize and develop some nonverbal consent practices. And so for me like my go-to is a double tap. So Mm -hmm. I tap someone twice on the shoulder in like a very like pointed way Um, Mm -hmm. and that means I need a pause, you know? Obviously, I had to communicate that to them verbally ahead of time. Otherwise, they won't know why I'm tapping them.
0: Mm-hmm. But it's
1: a really simple cue that I can use even on like a hookup um, because it's, it doesn't take a huge lot of like communication or negotiation to explain what it is and what it means. Mm-hmm. And for me, it just means I need a pause to sort of like recalibrate and then maybe I need to check in about something or maybe I just need a pause and mm-hmm. then we can go back
0: um yeah train yeah. like fighters and that's what you do when you're like MMA or UFC like yeah tap like, out it's literally yeah, and, like hold on
1: <laughs> and honestly the worst thing that's ever happened and this is not bad the worst thing that's ever happened to me from that is when I was um like on a first date, like a hookup, it was a hookup that turned into, um, a long-term partnership, actually. (laughs) That (laughs) happened.
0: That's how I usually fall in love.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So it was a hookup turned long-term partnership. And on this first time that we had sex together, I had like said my little spiel about the double tap. And then like, we were having like really hot sex and having a great time. And then all of a sudden they like, rolled off of me and were like, they stopped what they were doing. And then they just like looked at me and were like, how are you doing? And I was like, Aww. I'm good. like And I was like, like I'm good. What What's up? Happened? Yeah. yeah. And then they were like, oh, well you tapped. And it was just because I was like having a great time. I wasn't paying attention to what my hand was doing. <laughs> um, but like, that was great because it actually showed that they were super receptive to what I had said. And they were like, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. so that actually obviously made me feel like a lot safer and better about everything.
0: Aww. Um
1: yeah, totally. And then now we're still together. Um Love that. But um so Yeah, so one. there's that's one. And then also like, okay, so things like because okay, the verbal the verbal consent model, I'm like, yes, but like if a person is saying like yes, yes, I I'm like you feel like can I do this? And they're like yes, and then like they're like lying there like staring at the wall, looking really unhappy. I mean, that information matters, right? Mm-hmm. And unless they've told you that like you know, when they're having a good time, that's just how they look, we should be concerned about that. Like, mm-hmm. I I think sometimes that this sort of, like, contractual consent model where it's, like, you got to sign on the dotted line that you said yes, it becomes more important than actually, like, reading people's body language and, like, paying attention to, like, cues and signals, which to, to be a responsible, like, sexual partner, we have to be doing that work of actually trying to pay attention to what is going on
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, to the best of our ability, which obviously isn't perfect. But, like, one of the things that I will do – with new partners, especially, is, like, have a conversation about, like, what cues should I look for, right? So, mm-hmm. like, what what does it look like for you when you're having a good time? And what does it look like for you when you start to, like, check out, for example? Because mm-hmm. there's some people who are, like, um, that going quiet, for example, is, like, they're starting to check out. And there's other people who like, they literally just go quiet when they're like concentrating and they're like about to come or something. Right. Or,
0: yeah. Deep subspace. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: And mm-hmm. so you don't want to like just guess that that's, there's some things that I'm like, in general, you should probably check in. It's a, like, it might be, unless they've said otherwise, I would say check in.
0: Like if but they're like, crying, you might want to Yeah. Ask.
1: <sighs> but but again, some people like cry when they're like having a great time. So it's yep. like, Same. have that conversation. Like ahead of time, and just be like what what should I look for? Are there certain cues? are there certain um you know sounds behaviors uh facial expressions, et cetera, and obviously, with a new partner, you know you're not gonna be like as fluent in their in their body language and stuff, but you start to practice right, and you you start to um, yeah, you just start to get to know, so those are basically like that's basically what it is, having some kind of cue or some kind of signal that doesn't rely on speaking, that allows you to to tap out, mm-hmm. and also having some level of like literacy about how the person communicates non-verbally with their – the sounds that they make and with their facial expressions and with their body. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't know, and like we can't assume that it's like a universal thing because people are really different from each other, it's really just a quick check-in to be like, what should I look for, right? Mm -hmm. And then if in the moment you notice that your partner is like doing one of those things, then you can just pause for a second and use that Mm -hmm. as an opportunity to check in.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to bring up a couple that I can think of. Snapping, which is like Mm -hmm. akin to tapping if you know how to snap. Um, And of course, like you said, like body language is not universal, but something I was first taught in a flogging workshop is typically, and I've found this to be true, but definitely talk to your partner, notice yourself when you're into something, your body wants to move closer to it. So like if you're being spanked, if you're spanking someone and they're like, you know, the positives, the seemingly like positives are there, like they're breathing heavy, they're moaning. If they're getting closer to you, that probably means they want more or to maintain. If they're trying to kind of escape it, that could be part of their play or maybe it's not. Right.
1: Um. Yeah. And if they haven't, if you haven't had the conversation and like they haven't explicitly communicated that they like to do that then yeah it's a signal to be like oh maybe I should check in to see what that means
0: Mm -hmm. if your mouth is bound and you don't have hands and you don't know how to snap something that you and your partner could agree on beforehand is like if I'm shaking my head side to side like no Mm -hmm. this would be a stop you know but like a nodding is an affirmative or keep going or more yeah right so those are some examples all right let's see listener question two And you kind of just brought this up. Do you have any advice for repairing harm after consent has been violated, but you want to stay in the relationship? So this takes two co-creators, by the way. You cannot force someone to give a shit about you.
1: Yeah. I mean, okay. there's there's two things I want to say about this, because I think that, like, again, we collapse things together that are quite distinct because it's impossible for me to tell from that whether this means like an intentional violation of consent where you knew that this person didn't want something and you did it anyway, which is a very, very different situation from a breakdown of communication where you thought that you were doing something that they wanted. And then it turns out that you guys did not communicate well and they they weren't into it, right? Mm-hmm. Because part of what I advocate for, which is another controversial opinion of mine, is that we actually – For those of us who are receptive partners, which most of us are at some point or another, if we're not just like a full-time top, if we Mm -hmm. let people do stuff to us, I believe that part of respecting the top's consent is actually communicating our no's Mm -hmm. because it is actually not consensual that if you've created – if there's a situation where there's trust there, where you guys – where the person has done their due diligence to try to communicate and genuinely cares and does not want to violate your consent and you are something shifts in you and you decide that you're not into it anymore and you don't do anything to communicate that and the person is trusting you to communicate that, I actually think that that person's consent is actually being violated, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of like the opposite of what people usually think. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that all of sexual responsibility falls on the top or the initiatory partner. And I think that it's like pretty stressful for tops that that's the case, that we put all of that responsibility... Mm-hmm. On the tops, but of course, like there's situations and I'm not saying that either person is a bad guy, right, because we can you might you know you might freeze and and not be able to speak in that moment, and you didn't come up with a strategy that is actually working for you in that moment, and so you aren't able to communicate and like that's happened to me for sure, and I'm not trying to blame either person, but I'm just like there's a really big difference between that situation where like communication breaks down and like something is happening that one of the people doesn't want um and the other person doesn't know mm-hmm. versus somebody deciding, like, I know that my partner doesn't want this, but I want it and so I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so in that case of, like, um, intentional violation of consent, I would say that that's, like, a very, like, obviously dangerous situation. Like, if a person did that, then there's obviously concern that it might happen again. And I would highly advise that the person who did intentionally break the consent – try to seek therapy, try to seek support because you need to like get to the bottom of what happened there in order to be a safe and responsible partner. Um, And so like I would – if that's the situation, like I would not advise just like going forward and like hoping it doesn't happen again. I would like really, really suggest like maybe putting the relationship on pause and letting both people take time to like um, work on their own healing if pursuing the relationship again is what is wanted. because, like, I think if that happened and there is – like, the, there's there's stuff going on there for that person that they probably need to look at in therapy. Mm-hmm. But the other situation I think is a lot more common, which is, like, an accidental violation of consent. And so in that case, I don't think – like, I think it's totally possible to continue the relationship. I think that people need to – they you, you basically need to express, like, concern and regret that that happened, I think, on both sides, like – we neither of us wanted that. And
0: how did we get here? How did and we how, get here? We and like, I care about you. Again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I care about you. I care that you feel hurt by this. Like, I definitely did not want to do that if that was not wanted, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Rebuilding that trust and then working on like, we really obviously need to check what our communication strategies are because something didn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I think we need to normalize that this is part of sex. Like, it's part of sex it's going to happen there's going to be communication breakdowns there's going to be you're going to try something and then like oh shit i like i froze and i went nonverbal and i wasn't able to communicate it or like whatever it is right it's
0: mm-hmm. going to happen
1: we don't have to see it as like the end of the world or as like this person is like a horrible person or i'm a horrible person we can actually just be like okay it was a f- it was like a mistake like we didn't actually communicate well and so how can we actually learn from this to like work on communication so we can find strategies that actually like work better for us.
0: Mm -hmm. I have an example. Um, I was really proud of someone for doing this. So I am fucking again. I am dating again. My partner died seven or ish, seven and a half months ago, I think as we record this. Um, and so I'm like relearning, you know, like dive right in and let's, let's build new everything with new people. Um, and so I was fucking with this person. Uh, We really like each other. Uh, We've talked about it. This was very early on. And so I had we had established like the need for a safe word very early on. um, And that was great. And we were fucking and he was pulling my hair. And I was like, oh, this is really good. Okay, wait, that's too hard. Maybe if I just wait a second, it'll go away. And then I was like, "Okay, that's fine. And then afterwards, Cause I really didn't want to use the safe word. I'm like, I don't think right. I need this. So yeah. afterwards we're like cleaning up and I'm like brushing my hair and feeling my hair. And I was like, Oh wow. I actually like lost a little hair. I was like, you kind of pulled a little hard on that last time. And he, he pats me and he's like, that's why you say pineapple. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, you're so right. Uh, all right. Thanks for calling me on my shit. Cause that wasn't your responsibility. If I, I should, I could have said something and I'm not mad at myself and I have no hard feelings and against him. Cause why would I? <laughs>
1: And I also think it's normal. Like, I mean, I don't know. I'm a sub and like, I think it's normal for subs. We don't always know our limits 100%. Like, there can be a little window of like, this is getting to be too much, but like, is it? And then, and then, and then there's like a line where it's like, oh, don't know, it definitely is, which is sort of like what I guess like some people use, like, um, sort of like red, yellow, green, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, which I had a scene where we did that and it was pretty cool because sometimes it's like, it's like this is like edging on too much. Mm -hmm. but it's not exactly too much. And I get not wanting to pull out the safe word if you're like, oh, like what we're doing is really hot. And like, I don't want to like fully stop it, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. I could have said yellow now that I think about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Cause I feel like that's, you know, and more just like, I'm not, I don't need to check in. I just need it to scale back slightly, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think intent matters and some people will argue that impact matters more, but I mean... To anybody who says that, I'm just like, look, if I think about someone like accidentally like bumping into my daughter and she's like, ow, I'm like, oh, honey, it was an accident. But if someone walks up to my daughter and like punches her, I'm going to have a very different reaction because intent matters.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this idea that like that it's, it's, it's based on this verbal consent model, right? That like you have to verbally ask for everything. And if you didn't, then that's a consent violation, right? But like there's many issues with that because one, most people literally don't do that
0: hmm. So I don't. If yeah, that would be really, really hard to do. I'm thinking the kind of sex I have, like, can I lick your ear? Can I touch? Exactly. Your like, like,
1: when do we define like when one act starts and another ends? Like, there's a lot of stuff going on with sex, right? So like, it is like messy. And I think that like, I really don't even think that it's like, I, I don't even think that accidental consent violation is like an accurate term for a lot of this stuff, because it's, it's not like, it's not actually a consent violation if there hasn't been that communication, right? It's a con- it's a communication breakdown. Mm-hmm. And like and like it doesn't mean that that can't be really upsetting for the other person or like really hurtful or maybe even in some cases traumatic. Like it it can be. And mm-hmm. I do think that if you did that accidentally, like you should obviously be concerned and be like, "Wow, like that was not my intention and like I want to like, you know, I want to mm-hmm. make sure that the person knows that I care and I want to like do everything that I can to make sure that never happens again." But I'm also just like it's – I think it just creates this really hyper vigilant relationship to sex where people are – They God, either – the Yeah, they're either like super anxious that they're going to suddenly be a monster, like
0: mm-hmm. –
1: Or they like sort of deal with that by totally dissociating from the whole thing and just kind of doing the roll the dice model where they're just like, I'm not going to deal with any of it. I'm just hope for the best, right? Mm-hmm. And I would rather that we go into the middle ground of just being like, this isn't going to be perfect, but we're going to try our best to like genuinely understand each other in good faith and like – and try to communicate, right? Like
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we gave some tips for that question. So good luck to you, whoever asks. Let me know how it goes. Feel free, feel free to write me they talk sex podcast at protonmail.com. Uh all right, let's see. Listener question, oh, there's poodle shaking out. Listener question three. And we also kind of talked about this earlier, actually. I have a very hard time reading people and I avoid flirting because I feel predatory when I try. I think it's because I feel uncomfortable when men flirt with me and I don't want to make anybody else feel that way, but nobody can tell I am interested. How do I work around this better? This is a woman.
1: Yeah. I mean, my, (laughs) my main experience with this is with, you know, being a woman dating women. So, but I think maybe other people can also relate to this, but like, I, I think context matters, but I would have this problem even on literal dates. It's, like, actually a date. We literally met on Tinder or something. We're on a mm-hmm. date and both of us are, like, sitting there awkwardly, unable to express, like, att- like attraction to each other, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: – and, like, apparently I'm, like, super, super not alone in this. And so I'm just, <laughs> like – I'm just, like, this is a big phenomenon that, like, a lot of queer women are dealing with and it's, like, pretty ridiculous. Like, we need to have more clarity in our dating and sex lives with other women. So, like, my advice would be to, like, to trust yourself and, like, that – Actually, you are capable of paying attention to other people's boundaries. Like, in fact, you're so concerned with other people's boundaries that you're being hyper vigilant and you're literally not doing anything, right? So that information tells you that, like, you actually care a lot about other people's boundaries. Mm. And so you don't have to worry that you're like a monster who doesn't care about people's boundaries. You're actually someone who's very concerned about them. And so to trust yourself a little bit that you are going to be paying close attention um, and... People who have this issue are more likely to err the other way, to see something that is not a no as a no, you know? Mm-hmm. They're not actually very likely to see something as a yes that is not a yes because they literally are so concerned and they're tr- they're seeing everything as a no, right?
0: Mm-hmm. My
1: main strategy with this stuff, especially with like dating women, is to just openly talk about this phenomenon. Like I have had many dates go down like this where I have been like, like first dates where I'm just like... Yeah, like I don't know. Like I've had this situation with dating other women where like it's really unclear to me if she's like into me or not. And I felt like I don't want to make a move because I just I want to be really sure. And then she'll be like, "Yeah, like me too." Like blah 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 blah. Right? And and then I'm like, "Yeah, like." And then I'm like, "Should I make a move?" Blah blah blah. And then we both like are like laughing because we're like it's like very meta because we're like talking about Mm -hmm. what's happening right now.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then like when that moment happens and we kind of realize that we're literally talking about what's happening right now, then I just go full brave and say like, so do you want to kiss me? You know? And then usually she's like, "Mm," and like, whatever. It's like all like giggly and then kisses me, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's really, that's some good advice. I like that. I haven't heard that before. Um, The last time I kissed a lady, she asked, can I kiss you? And we had been talking for two hours about her trauma and, um, she had she had just like said that she had mentioned a couple times that she was trying to explore her bisexuality, and I'm like, huh, interesting. <laughs> Does this relate to me? And then yeah, so I, I can kind of think that she was kind of doing it in that way, but that's like a, a a hint. That's like a baby step. I like how you just explained what you apply. Uh, okay, so last listener question for now. Oh, my dog is bothering me, and my computer's yelling at me. Poodle, can you go lay down? Go lay down. I know, I'm almost done. He's like, Who are you talking to? Fuck, dude. So cute. Oh, buddies. I know your dog's oh, oh. <laughs> is is the white one yours, or does is that Yeah. Her okay. name's Clover. She's eleven months okay. old. Okay. I was like, this dog seems newer to your world and it plays with the black dog. Yeah, that's my like friend
1: Tara's dog goose. Yeah.
0: Okay, okay. They're okay. good friends. Oh, I can tell. I know yours always looks so happy, Clover's like, <laughs> stick. So yeah. cute. Um, I'm going to cut all of this anyway. Um, okay. So listener question four, I've heard the phrase consent starts outside the bedroom. How do you feel about this phrase?
1: So I definitely agree with that. And I mean, it kind of goes back to one of the things that you're one of the submitted um, comments that were made earlier about children. I really think like we begin our knowledge about consent practices as children and it sucks because children are really disrespected when it comes to consent. Yeah. And so, like, since children are very often not taught basic things, like, they have the right to, like, not hug or kiss a relative if they don't want to. Mm -hmm. Like, it really sets people up with a bad, like, model of consent right from the beginning Mm -hmm. where they don't have practice saying, no, I don't want to. And Um, and so –
0: and yeah. some people are given more freedom to do whatever to them because of their relationship with them. Like, well, I know you don't want to, but it's your auntie or whatever. And it's like, Exactly. so when you're older, it's like, I know you don't want to fuck me, but I'm your boyfriend. Exactly.
1: And that that's somehow like connected to like your love for the person or something like that. And it's, it's mm-hmm. a terrible thing to model to kids. And unfortunately there's a lot of kids who have had that modeled. Um, so I think like we can really start building better consent, um, cultures in the ways that we raise children, first of all. But then also just generally speaking, like, yes, like, I think generally speaking that the the conversation about consent, it doesn't have to happen in the bedroom. It, sh- it shouldn't happen during sex. Ideally, it should happen before sex and maybe even... Not on the same day. But obviously sometimes if you're having like a hookup or something, mm-hmm. it's probably going to happen right then. Um, Maybe it's in a bedroom. Maybe it's like by the train tracks or like wherever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, But you can still do the pre-sex check-in um, and you can do like a version of it that fits for a hookup, right? Like mm-hmm. you can do like a mini version that is like enough for like what you're planning to do in that hookup that can still be really effective. Um. Mm-hmm. But I think that once people start getting naked and like stuff is happening, it's just like there's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot going on physiologically. There's a lot going on with like vulnerability. There's just a lot going on. And so I think that we're all just like better prepared if we did some level of prep before we get into that, you know?
0: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Like a mini version, Um, I've given an example before and I literally will say like, we didn't talk about this, but I was last screened at this time. Um I have HSV1. What about you?
1: Totally. It can be really simple like that. One of the ones that I always ask people is, do you have any hard limits? Like is there something that you really don't like, right? Ooh, um that's good. because it's like, you know, if we're going to be like trying different stuff, like I there I definitely want to know and it's going to be it's going to save a lot of issues later if I just know that there's certain things I just shouldn't even try or, like, ask or, like,
0: approach, right? What are your? <laughs> mine are <laughs> – mine is nothing in my butt unless I ask and please no spitting on me.
1: Mine is do not squeeze my nipples.
0: <laughs> really?
1: <laughs> I feel so fucking strongly about this. And <laughs> it, it's funny because it's, like, just a thing that people do a lot, you know? And yeah. I hate it. As I a hate sex worker, it. I agree. And I'm just, like, I really hate it. So it's, like, something that I – it's something Ugh. that people – No one in my life, even in all of the queer dating that I've done and all of these people who insist that they practice this verbal consent model, nobody has ever asked me, can I squeeze your nipples? But they've asked me, like, can I touch your arm? And I'm like, yeah, you can fucking touch my arm. You don't have to ask that. But like, there's no checking in about the nipple squeezing. And I'm just like, I fucking hate that, you know? Um, And it will totally take me out of my arousal. It's like awful. So I'm just like, that's, but there's a quick fix to that, which is that I can just tell people that it takes two seconds for me to tell people that right up front Mm -hmm. before we even start doing anything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, there's always going to be things that you don't find out that you hate until the moment. Like that's, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're always learning about our own sexualities and like the things we like can change and blah, blah, blah. But still like at least for like basic safety, like having that check in of like what are the parameters in which we're playing? Like what are the things that I absolutely need to know to like make sure that this is going to be safe for you, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Or like no blood. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, and I think that there's definitely things that, like, that I think go without saying unless, like, blood, like, penetration, like, any of these things, I think it's, like, you should assume that you should you should As- check to see if that's on the table, right? Yeah. Be, in, I don't think it's, like, on the other person to be, like, it isn't on the table, but it doesn't hurt to say it. Um, and I mm-hmm. definitely think with penetration, that's something that because of heteronormativity, a lot of people just assume is on the table all the time.
0: Um, mm-hmm. but
1: like it isn't actually on the table all the time for everybody. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So yes, I think we agree with the phrase overall, but like everything else, it's nuanced and context worthy, like context related. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, let's take another break. Find Clementine Morgan on Instagram, ClementineMorgan.com. And on Patreon.com. That's probably where you hide all your secrets. That's what I do. (laughs) I'm like my Patreon audience. They know like more about my dating and my fucking than my Instagram audience. Because Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you pay the dollar for. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Let's take a break. Hey there. Do you want to help people and make money doing it? Becoming a coach might be your ticket. The coaching industry is currently filled with a lot of straight white coaches and working with straight white people who have the privilege to hire them. The Coaching Guild is changing that. The Coaching Guild is looking for diverse people with diverse experiences and backgrounds who want to get university-level training to become a coach. This is not a shortcut certification program. This is intense training for the real world. They are looking for the artists, the rebels, and the wild ones. You can change the world one client at a time and make money doing it. Visit www.thecoachingguild.com. Do you have a sensitive vulva or vagina? Me too. People with vaginas will experience at least one yeast infection in their lifetime, and many folks like myself get them every time the seasons change. As someone who relies on their vaginal health for their personal and professional wellness, I use Momotaro Apotheca Solutions for preventing bacterial vaginosis or yeast infection. Their products also serve urinary tract infections, postpartum care issues, aftercare, and general irritation from sex, clothing, and exercise. I love these things. I use them to shorten my healing time or prevent irritation. Use stripperwriter for a discount code and check out their affiliated CBD products at oshihana.com. That's MomotaroApotheca.com and Oshihana.com. Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. Thank you for your lovely reviews on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify. I actually don't know if you can leave reviews. I've only read the ones on Apple. They were super good. Thanks, friends. <laughs> Thanks everybody. <laughs> Uh okay so Clementine Morgan and I are talking about consent and queerness and I found a really interesting article written on goldengateexpress.org I'm not familiar with this one. The title is How Conversations About Consent Cast Out Queer Relationships. The author is Olivia Wincoop. This was published April of 2021. So there's a quote in here um this person is the Vice President of Victim Services at Rain, which is the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network, and that's a hotline and a website you can contact if you need. This person says, uh, Keeley Sorensen is their name, they say, many survivors of sexual violence experience a loss of control during an assault, so for LGBTQ survivors, being outed without their consent can further this trauma and is potentially dangerous." Uh, so this relates to barriers queer people face in reporting sexual violence. So if you're reporting, it might mean outing yourself and facing a denial of services or uh, denial of medical care. And Then this relates more to what we're talking about. Queer relationships, says the author, have often been cast away as taboo in a world of heteronormative sex education and relationship advice. This leaves people in the LGBTQ plus community vulnerable to engaging in non-consensual sex unknowingly. Uh, And then this person says, Natty Regalado, I'm sorry if I didn't say your name right, said the term consent needs to exceed beyond just saying yes to penetration because sex looks vastly different for everyone. So, okay, this person says, a lot of lesbians don't know how to have sex, so they don't know how to start the conversation about consent because they don't know what to consent to.
1: What? They don't know how to have sex? Is that what it says?
0: (laughs) so weird. (laughs) That's what this person says. Well, I mean, I I relate to that when… You're like new to having sex. Okay. And you okay. And what you're supposed to do. It's just a weird thing to say about lesbians generally, but yeah. Right. Yeah. I think they have it down. Like once they know, they know. But when you start having sex, it's like, wait, how do we have sex? Like are we scissoring or like what's. Totally. I mean, to me,
1: like that in some ways is like a better situation for consent because it means that people have to sort of figure things out from from scratch which is what we should sort of be doing anyway and i think that like in the heteronormative world where there's this script that's like sex equals you know like i remember when like, i dated this guy very briefly and like we we had really hot sex for like a lo- like a long time and then he was like wow like i have never had so much foreplay and mm. i literally was like buddy like this- you know that that was just called sex right like uh. like it's just <sighs> weird because because it it's this idea that like you know once he put his dick in me that that was sex right yeah. but like all yeah. of the stuff before where like I was coming and it was like hot and like we were doing other stuff that was just foreplay to like the main event and this is this heteronormative you know script mm-hmm. but like that I think is what really is dangerous because it's like the assumption is sex is this and then you know if you don't want that it's like well that's sort of that's you're like you're like on a you're like on a train that's headed somewhere right like it's already been decided that that's sort of like what is going to happen and obviously that's not true it it is hasn't been decided and you should be able to communicate and negotiate and say no but like i think that script puts a lot of pressure on people whereas like queer people we do come up with our own scripts eventually too. And and those can come with their own baggage, but like there is a lot more just like figuring out what sex is. Um, cause it can look a lot of different ways. And so because of that, it forces more communication, um, or at least it has the potential to, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I Some think- of the
0: best sex I've had with men or like street leaning men, there wasn't a bunch of penetration and like, Yeah, they knew that. Like at the end, like after all of it, I think they started figuring out like, oh, cool. I can expand my repertoire. look at all these rad things you can do with a human body.
1: (laughs) Totally. Absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. So I want to read some more of the responses. Earlier, I I had asked, how have you accidentally or knowingly pushed boundaries or consent? Okay, so this, (laughs) ha ha ha, okay. This kind of relates to something that we were talking about earlier where you could be into a lot of stuff but have some very specific hard line nose. Mm-hmm. Um, this person says um, they, okay, we had done all kinds of shibari, knife play, hard spanks, insults. But when I spit on her, I felt like something changed. I stopped everything. <laughs> I usually always ask before, but I was enjoying a bit too much and I forgot that that was a hard limit. Right. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Someone else says, fuck, I hope I haven't. (laughs) There's like a lot of reflections. Um, one person says, I disassociate during sex and my partner ends up feeling violated about it after. This is interesting because I feel entitled to experience my trauma, but it hurts him too.
1: Yeah, I think that that's really interesting and it connects to what I was saying earlier about the top or the initiatory partner feeling their consent is violated because the other person doesn't communicate that they are no longer into something. And I think dissociation, I mean, it can look different for different people, but it can be like this checking out, right? So you're not really there. Mm -hmm. And it's like an altered state of consciousness. So I definitely think that it could be argued that it's hard to consent when you're in that state because you're not there right Mm -hmm. um and i could see why somebody would be like wow this is really um
0: feels like scary or stressful
1: yeah like i'm you know i want you to be here with me and like um i also want to make sure that this is like something that you want and like how can i know that for sure if you're dissociating so Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah i encourage this couple to talk about this and like you know figure out like how do you know when this is happening if you realize you're starting to disassociate can you like tap? You know, or if -hmm. if you're the top partner and they're not being responsive or something's, you know, changed or you you notice what they told you, then you stop.
1: Totally. And like, yeah, my partner immediately can tell when I start to check out. But like, obviously, we've been together for a long time, but it's like I do think that there are like visible signs for a lot of people. And if you guys talk about it and you start getting the practice of noticing it, um, then – yeah like there's mm-hmm. and it, and depending on the situation like if you catch it early like you might not fully go off the deep end and you might be able to like come back and and or you might need to totally stop like mm-hmm. it depends on the situation
0: and women who fuck men cis women who fuck cis men report um more satisfying sex typically report okay more women who fuck men let's see if i can get this out uh, typically report that the longer that they're in a sexual relationship with someone, it tends to become more fulfilling and exciting. And I really think this is a big part of it because you feel more safe and comfortable. You can do more things. You have more like boundaries and trust established or not more boundaries, but you have more trust established. And yeah, I think, totally.
1: And like your boundaries, yeah. you've communicated them and like so on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. Someone else says, huh. <laughs> Years of sexual abuse from men led to coercion in queer relationships after I came out. That sucks. Uh, Someone else said, yes, we were drunk. I am a female and they are male. They said, are you sure this is a good idea? But I didn't care and we had sex anyway. I regret it deeply because I think I might have pushed their consent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Okay, and then last one, a woman says, knowingly I mounted a very intoxicated man that probably wouldn't have said yes. Okay, so it's good for us to reflect on that stuff and know how we would do differently.
1: Totally. Mm -hmm.
0: So, Clementine, what would you tell your teenage or child self about sex or dating or relationships if you could go back? Have you thought about this?
1: I mean... Yeah. Like, it's really hard for me because I'm like – my life was so fucked up. I'm sort of like –
0: I don't want to go back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm kind of like – I guess the main things that I would do is like, you know, get myself to a safe environment. Like, I wish I had a trustworthy adult in my life when I was that age. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know. I think – I'm an alcoholic, so I think – I mean, the the problem is, is like, if somebody had told me this, I don't think I would have listened, but (laughs) my alcoholism and combined with sex, like, led to lots of situations that were, like, really, really bad for me, and so, you Mm -hmm. know, it would have been better if that hadn't happened. I guess overall, I would have basically been, like, you need support with your trauma. Like, you're not going to be able to access the sexuality that you want to access, like, the healing, like, healthy sexuality until you've actually got… Some more basic safety around your complex PTSD. So, because mm-hmm. I was basically in crisis and still trying to be like a sexual person and it was just re traumatizing. So, I think mm-hmm. that that would be the main thing was like, now that mm-hmm. I know all of the like types of therapy that are like good for complex PTSD, I would probably be like, look, this is these mm-hmm. specific things, like, go find a therapist who can help you with this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely lots of stuff that was out of your control and like. You didn't know then, but it. I think it's helpful to say this stuff aloud because some people, it will give them the tools to start picking up the pieces now. Mm -hmm, Totally. If drinking is really negatively relating to your dating, then, I mean, I'm saying this as a hungover person. I'm hungover. (laughs) You know, like I told you before we started recording, I was like, fuck my life. I didn't drink for two and a half years. And when I do shit like this, I remember why. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess, yeah,
1: I guess that's worth saying like for your listeners is that like, I was really afraid that like I needed to be drunk to like have hot sex, you know, and that like Mm -hmm. my dating life would fall apart if I wasn't drinking because dating is so centered around drinking. And like, I've been sober for nine years and like all sorts of like crazy shit like play parties and group sex and like whatever, like really intimate sex with partners and like hookups and like all sorts of experiences that I've had all in the past nine years have all been totally sober, you know? And so that. that's, that's totally great. possible and you can have hot, kinky, slutty sex <laughs> and be mm-hmm. sober if you want to and you can definitely find – like what I have found is that – um you know, I tend to date a lot of other people who are sober, but not exclusively. But like my serious partners tend to also be sober because we just have a lot in common. Mm -hmm. But like with dating, like people who do drink, I find that most people who aren't alcoholics literally don't care about being sober on a date. Like if you're like, oh, I don't drink. They're like, oh, okay. Sometimes they're like a bit more awkward about like sex (laughs) and stuff when you first start. But (laughs) it's also like kind of sweet in a way and you can like lean into it and – I don't know. I have found that I have had no trouble finding people who are willing to like go on that journey with me sober. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely it's possible. It's possible. And it's like what I believed just wasn't true at all. Like the idea that like my dating life would be totally fucked by is just not true.
0: Yeah. And I've actually seen a lot of people go through sobriety and like lean more into learning about their sexual selves and becoming more sexually prolific. So it's like you have more energy and focus to really connect with those things if you would like. Totally. So what are some sources that have been helpful for your own learning?
1: So as far as consent stuff goes, like none, to be honest. And like maybe <laughs> I just haven't found the right ones. But like this is part of why I started to to do this work is because I just found that like it was reciting like most consent resources that I found were reciting this like verbal enthusiastic consent model over and over again. And just being like, it's an orthodoxy, like you can't question it. But at the same time, they like fully know that most people don't do this and those people are not like monsters or something. They're just trying to have sex that works for them, right? So I just always found that really not helpful. Um, So I'm definitely like open to hearing about it if people, you know, have recommendations for consent resources that are like better because I have yet to find ones that really resonate with me. Um, but what I do find helpful and what is like, been really useful for me is learning a lot about trauma. So, like, I mean, not everybody has trauma, but if you do have trauma. Um,
0: if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you do.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if you have trauma, like, I think that, you know, getting some literacy around that can be really helpful for your sex life. It has been really helpful for mine in terms of, like, understanding what's going on for me, developing better communication skills, also, like, having stronger relationships in which I'm having sex. Um, And so, yeah, like, generally, I'm really interested in attachment theory, um, Mm -hmm. nervous system stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've actually been really into um, internal family systems lately, which is a cool trauma model. Yeah.
0: Or it's not just for trauma,
1: but, like, it's very useful for traumatized people. So, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. So you have trauma magic, on clementinemorgan.com you mm-hmm. have digital version of fucking girls you yeah. have a, a workshop called trauma informed polyamory you have the zine love without emergency i have the words fucking magical tattooed on my wrist oh that's so cool <laughs> it's kind of my outlook on life it's like yeah, it, it's sometimes it's great sometimes it's terrible but let's do the best we can fucking magical yeah um okay so i ask every guest this besides all the advice you just gave, do you have any sex tips for our audience?
1: I would say my main sex tip is to show up as who you are. And like, I think that we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves in general, but especially in sex, that we're supposed to be something um, other than who we are. And we're trying to like shape ourselves into that, you know? And um, some of the most like some of the hottest sex I've had has been in situations where I am able to trust someone to hold me in my vulnerability as who I actually am. Um, in some of my zines, I have another zine with fucking the title that's called fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> I know, I can't stop. I probably need to get a new shtick, but um in that in in that zine, I I have a a piece that's called Magic Sluts with Psoriasis. And <laughs> I know. And um basically like I have psoriasis, which is a skin condition. And like there's been times in my life where I've had it literally all over my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happened again for me like a couple of years ago, and I was like super stressed out because I was like, wow, like I literally don't want to be covered in like red scaling patches of skin all over my body. And at that time, I was like very like, you know, I had a really abundant sex life with like different people, and I was like, I don't want
0: mm-hmm. to give that
1: up, but I'm like really embarrassed. And, like, learning how to share my body as it actually is with my partners and letting them show their attraction to me and, like, going on first dates and, like, having hookups like that was, like, very profoundly healing for me and actually was really hot, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just think that we can create these these things in our heads where we're like, nobody's going to want me as I am, whether that's like the way our bodies are or whether that's like because I'm like kind of crazy and I have trauma and like there's stuff I'm working through. Mm -hmm. But it's like I think if we're like if we hold ourselves and are vulnerable and show up like I think we can find people who are genuinely ready to show up with who we
0: actually are
1: and then the sex is way hotter because you're not you're not like pretending or like trying to be something else.
0: Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to cry. I love that so much. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. One more question. Does anybody ever get mad at you for referring yourself as crazy? Because I like to call... I'm, I call myself a stupid bitch all the time and there's like yeah. the misogyny and the ableism there, but I'm like, you know what? My brain is fucky sometimes and also I get to call myself whatever the hell I want.
1: Yes, people have literally tried to tell, myself, t- trying to tell me that I shouldn't say crazy and it it literally pisses me off so much for a number of reasons. One is because like language... It means, it means different things. Like language evolves and changes, right? And the mm-hmm. way that crazy is used in general conversation, it means like wild or like whatever, right? And people are like, well, you shouldn't say crazy because it's referencing like crazy people or whatever. And I'm like, I literally am a crazy person, okay? <laughs> yeah. I literally am. I'm a psychiatric survivor. I have been locked up in psych wards. Like if anything, I absolutely can fucking say that word. And I just think also that people need to relax a little bit. I get it. But, like, Mm -hmm. if you care about, you know, people who are, um, you know, psychiatrized, maybe you should spend your energy, like, looking into what psychiatric institutions are doing to people who are incarcerated there. And, like, Mm -hmm. maybe there's, like, some work you could do to, like, advocate for people whose rights have been taken away because they have various diagnoses or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, we we can care about people and not freak out about a very common word that we say in everyday language you know
0: and especially for you like I think people could respect crazy people by letting crazy people self-identify as crazy people
1: <laughs> totally and people have told me it's fine for me to say because once I have made that response for like it's fine for you to call yourself crazy but you can't call like a situation crazy or something mm-hmm. and I'm like you know what as a crazy person I actually <laughs> think I am totally um <laughs> like capable of like defining something as crazy if I want to so
0: I've never been I don't have your experience so that's why I pivoted to wild I'm like that was wild <laughs> and I've noticed more people doing that so uh, yeah we got options language can be so delightful and yet so limiting uh thank you so much I pushed on your boundaries a little bit I kept you 10 minutes longer um oh, it's totally fine no problem will you will you forgive me or are you gonna cancel me now
1: <laughs> I'm definitely not gonna cancel you
0: okay everyone go tell the world Elstanger's problematic and to cancel <laughs> Clementine Morgan forever <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Uh, Yeah, share this episode. Thank you, Clementine. Until next time. Thanks.